Hi everybody, my name is Ben and welcome to Headcanon, the podcast dedicated to exploring the vast reaches of cinematic universes that never were and never shall be. Every week on this podcast, I select a movie at random from a carefully curated list of some of the weirdest and most obscure movies I've never seen, I watch and review it, and then I try to imagine what it would be like if I was given the opportunity to expand it into a soulless, cash-grab multimedia franchise. I pitch sequels, prequels, spin-offs, crossovers, gritty reboots, TV shows, video games, and even porn parodies, taking movies that never got the attention that they deserved, and giving them far more attention than they deserve. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. This is episode 25, or uh, episode 5 of season 3, if you're counting that way. I I don't actually think anybody else is counting that way but me. I'm the only one that really cares about that. But uh, this is the 25th episode, not counting special episodes. And so depending on how you look at it, we're either a quarter of the way or halfway to uh, what I would consider a significant milestone in terms of episode count. But we're not there yet. We're just sort of churning along. And if you listen to last week's episode, I talked about a movie called Sorceress from 1982. It was directed by Jack Hill, written by Jim Wernowski. Uh, Sword and sorcery, epic fantasy, with a lot of boobs and references to threesomes and uh, goat men with boners. Uh, I recommend listening to the podcast, not so much the the movie itself. But at the end of that episode, I picked another random category for the next episode, and that was foreign movie. And that means any movie that wasn't made in America doesn't necessarily need to be foreign language, but in this case it was because the random movie I picked was a movie called Cyber Ninja from 1988, a Japanese tokusatsu film. Uh, Cyber Ninja is the American title. The the original title is Mirai Ninja, M-I-R-A-I, Mirai Ninja, which actually means future ninja. And I I talked a little bit about uh, tokusatsu movies several weeks ago when I watched a movie called Matango, Attack of the Killer Mushroom People. I think that was the title, the subtitle of that. But anyway, uh, tokusatsu movies, they are specifically a Japanese kind of production. The go-to references I usually use are Godzilla and and Super Sentai. Super Sentai is the Japanese show that Power Rangers gets its Japanese footage from. And I went a little more in depth in that episode, so you can go back and listen to that if you want a, kind of a deeper understanding of it. But basically, it's just anything produced in Japan with a, a specific sci-fi or fantasy or otherwise high concept aesthetic and special effects where there's a sort of surrealism to it where it's not necessarily trying for hyper reality uh, like I said Godzilla is, is is the easy reference point where you know it's destroying a giant building but you're never necessarily meant to believe that that's a real giant building it's obviously cardboard and they know you know it's cardboard that's tokusatsu and it's a genre of film that I was introduced to through my my childhood love of Power Rangers and this movie in particular, Cyber Ninja, is kind of an interesting experience for me personally, just because, and I didn't know any of this going in, it's directed by a guy named Keita Amimiya, who actually worked on Super Sentai right around the period where they were they were making their, their first deals with America. Well, that's actually not true. They, they made some deals in the 60s. They actually worked with Stan Lee at, at some point. There's a, a Spider-Man live-action Japanese show that you should all track down that's just really fucking weird. But in the 90s, when Saban was working with them and they wanted to do the show that would eventually become Power Rangers, apparently those seasons were either directed overall or at least significantly impacted by the work of, of Keita Amemiya. Uh, Jetman, for example, it's considered one of the best Super Sentai series, was originally planned to be the first season of Power Rangers, but the deals didn't go through right away, so eventually they made Zoo Ranger, which was the one with the dinosaurs and all that, as the first season. And and Amemia was was very big in the in, behind the scenes in the production of both of those series, uh, as well as uh, several after that. And, and so he's sort of one of these these lost architects of my childhood. Uh, so getting the chance to see what I believe is his first feature-length film is, is a really exciting prospect for me. Uh, he also did a, a couple other movies that are on my, my list to watch. Uh, he did uh, two actually two movies called Zerum and Zerum 2, which I believe are similarly sort of tokusatsu martial arts uh, fantasy action movies. And there's also uh, an anime, uh, like a prequel, I believe, maybe an OVA. I don't know exactly the nature of it, but there's more than, or there's at least three installments, so it'll qualify for my, my franchise episode sometime down the line. And he also did a movie called Mechanical Violator Hakaider, which I've I've looked for for a long time. I finally found it just recently, and it's kind of an odd movie in itself. It's it's based on a, an old '60s tokusatsu series called Kakaider about an android superhero, and his arch enemy was Hakaider, 
who is sort of like like the venom to his Spider-Man, sort of like an anti-hero. And I know they made a Kakaider movie just like a couple of years ago in the mid 2000s, but Hakaider was actually the first one to get a feature film back in the 90s, and this was, like I said, directed by Keita Memia, and I've always wanted to watch it. Just the name itself is very evocative to me, Me Mechanical Violator Hakaider, and apparently, like I said, he's an anti-hero robot in a dystopian future, and I believe he's uh, killing other robots for sport, or something to that effect. I'm, again, I've never seen it, but I will definitely be watching that down the, down the line. I don't know if I'll do that as a double feature with the Kakaider movie, or if because they, they're technically not affiliated beyond the fact that they're from the same source material, so I don't know how I'll treat that. But I'll be definitely watching both of those down the line. And as for, uh, like I mentioned, Super Sentai, Zoo Ranger and Jetman and all that stuff, references that you may or may not uh, get. I know they've released some of the Super Sentai series by Shout Factory. They've, they've done uh, translated DVD releases. And you can actually get the, the Roku channel for Shout Factory, and they're all available on there. And the reason I throw that out is I've gone back and forth a lot about possibly doing another podcast in addition to this one sort of not even necessarily a spin-off but just you know another solo podcast that I do during the week basically dedicated to Super Sentai and Tokusatsu generally and I'll just I'll just pitch it now and if you want it maybe maybe send me an email say you, you like the idea or you hate the idea I know you're gonna hate the title I'm gonna say that right now the title is every day is 9-11 and the reason it's called that is because if you've ever seen a Godzilla movie, if you live in a universe where every week there are giant monsters and giant robots fighting those giant monsters in the city, then for you, every day is 9-11. So that's the hilarious reference to that national tragedy that I think I'm going to call my podcast that no one should probably listen to because they should probably boycott it just for that alone. But anyway, it's going to be... A, a sort of a, a binge watch podcast where I, I take seasons of Super Sentai and then I'll expand it to stuff like Kamen Rider and various movies like Cyber Ninja or the Godzilla franchise maybe even if I don't get to it on here and, and kind of watch several at a time and just showcase you know, a kind of media that, that not a lot of people are necessarily uh, well versed in or that I'm personally not even a lot, very well versed in like I said I grew up as a Power Rangers kid but I, I haven't watched a lot of Super Sentai other than Zoo Ranger the the original season that Power Rangers is based on. I've seen that, but other than that, I, my, my experience is a little spotty with it, so it, to me it represents something where I, I know I love this kind of thing, but I'm also inexperienced in this specific version of it, so it'd be sort of like exploring something for the first time and showing others uh, the fruits of that exploration. So that might be a thing I do down the line. I don't know. Uh, I may give up on that idea. It's a very daunting task because the idea is to watch maybe like 10 episodes of a series. I mean, they're 20-minute episodes, but, you know, 10 episodes or, or more at once. So, you know, maybe I'll just never get around to it. But prepare for that, that horribly titled podcast, one of several that I have ideas for down the line. Uh, I'm not going to get into all of them, but but that's that's one that, that I, I might be doing. So anyway, back to uh, Keita Memiya and Cyber Ninja from 1988. You know, I, I want to manage my expectations just because it seems like it's going to be everything I want it to be in terms of what I want movies to be generally, but you never know. And, and when I really think I'm going to like a movie, usually that ends up meaning it's going to suck. So I'm just going to, I'm going to reserve my, my excitement for now. I'm going to pause the podcast, and then I'm going to come back and I'm going to tell you what I think of Cyber Ninja. Critics and sci-fi fans around the world are blown away by Cyber Ninja. Non-stop special effects. Reminiscent of Star Wars. A sci-fi samurai. Deliciously original. Look out! Your worthless human soul has been woven into this fortress of demons. Mondo Pop is offering a special introductory offer. Though you choose to let the Cyber Ninja live, I apologize. You have interfered for the last time. Act now and get ready for a cyber dose of big dollars when you buy one copy of Cyber Ninja and receive the second free. What do you say, Cyber Ninja? Neither man nor machine. Cyber Ninja. Don't delay. Order before August 1st and you'll receive Cyber Ninja by August 17th. And I'm back and I've watched Cyber Ninja from 1988, directed by Keita Amemiya. 
and I was I was pretty spot on in terms of my expectations going into this. Uh, this movie, uh, I loved this. It was everything I wanted it to be and more. It's my favorite thing. Uh, I I loved all of it, but I'm also pretty sure that very few other people would. Evidently, it, it, it was savaged by critics. I think it only has like a 44% on Rotten Tomatoes or something like that. Not that I ever consider that a, a valid metric for anything, but I can definitely tell that, that this is the kind of movie that, like, I'll, I'll just I'll just say, say right now, I'm recommending it just because fuck you, it's great, but it's not going to be for everyone. If you, if you grew up like I did on this kind of shit, if you loved Power Rangers as a kid, you'll probably love this movie. I mean, at least if that love carries over to you as an adult, or if you're a kid and you currently watch it, this is sort of a really nice old-school representation of, of where that all of that started. Uh, and, and it's very much like the, st- the structure of this movie feels like an entire season of a Super Sentai series just condensed into a single movie. You have, you know, the... Well, I mean, maybe more something like Kamen Rider where there's a single character rather than a team of characters. But, you know, you have the, the superhero protagonist. You have an army of sort of similarly dressed monstrous creatures so like if you if you remember in power rangers the putties that would always attack them first before the the main monster that looked a little more intricate and complicated then he would come out and fight him and then that guy would have a boss and then usually that boss would even have a boss and then just that sort of tiered almost video game like uh, level of, of action is all over this movie. And I say video game-like. Evidently, this was produced in part by uh, by Namco, which is a video game company, and they also made a game. And it's a little confusing if you read the IMDb trivia, which came first. Because the, the IMDb trivia suggests that this movie might have even been a spinoff from the game, but I, I can't imagine that's accurate, because the game is just like this really obscure arcade game that I'd never heard of prior to the movie, and, and it, it seems like that would have been based on the movie, so I, I'm not sure exactly which which came before which, but, but I don't want to, I also don't want to, like, color this by saying, well, it's like a video game, and it's based possibly based on a video game. It's, it doesn't feel like a video game movie in that sense, at least in terms of the, the mark of shitty quality that you would get with a, a typical video game movie. Uh, this, it feels like a well-realized world... Uh, right away, you're you're dropped into this place where it's. I mean, it's definitely feudal Japan, but it's an alternate history where they have weird, crazy alien technology, and but it's it's never like I said. They talk about Tokusatsu and, and the lack of hyperrealism or the lack of verisimilitude, where they're able to have surreal shit that that wouldn't exist. Well, like transforming robots, you know, and there are none of those in the movie. But I'm just saying that's the kind of thing where. Even if even if you could conceive of it scientifically or or technologically, there's no reason for it. There's no reason to have a giant robot with legs that could easily get tripped up, rather than say a tank or a plane or something much more efficient in terms of being a war machine. And so that's that's the kind of thing that you get with this genre. And in this movie, it takes it up to a fucking eleven because it also integrates elements of like ancient Chinese iconography. Their tanks are pagodas on treads, and they have these like Adat walkers that have these old sort of shacks on them. It kind of reminded me of uh, if you've ever heard of Baba Yaga. Uh, the ancient mytho- uh, mythological witch who had a, a shack with chicken legs. Only instead of chicken legs, they're these giant metal like Adat Walker legs. And that mix of the old and the new is all over this movie. You have like uh, the main characters are a clan of ninjas essentially, or samurai. I don't even know. They, I mean, they're a clan of warriors, and they they have the flags with the with the kanji on them, and they fight with swords. Only they're these. I don't even know, they're called spirit swords, and they plug bullets into them, but it's not like they're gun blades, like Final Fantasy. I don't really know what the bullets do. Maybe they sort of charge them up, because whenever they slash one of the ninja robots, and yeah, there are ninja robots all over this movie, obviously, they kind of electrify, but it's never really made clear if that's just because they're robots, or if that's what the sword is doing, like it's an extra added level of damage. But, you know, you have that old school martial arts sensibility with all this crazy sci-fi laser nonsense, and it, I mean, it, it meshes perfectly for me, but other people might find it a bit disjointed and weird. It, it's the kind of thing that you wouldn't question in an anime, but when you see it in live action, you, you have to suspend your disbelief that this is a world that could exist when so much of it is clearly fantastical. So you start out with this tribe, I think they're called the Suabe, and I'll, I'll say right now that the translation I have, I don't know if it was the best one, I, I think it might have been a fan translation rather than an official one, so if I get anything wrong, I apologize for that, that that's why. But you have this clan, and they're implied to be the last humans left, where 
and, and it's not robots that have taken over the world. They, they are demons that happen to employ a robot army. And they never really say where the demons came from. They just invaded at some point. And you know, there's this demon overlord, uh, sort of Darth Vader figure named Rime. And, of course, he's got this boss that is trying to, to manifest physically into the real world, sort of like a Lovecraftian monster. And they have you know, explicitly magical powers, but they also employ technology. They can rip your soul out of your body, and then they take your, your dead husk of a body and turn it into one of these, I think they call them mecha ninjas. And they're all, they're, like I said, they're sort of like the putties. But then they also have their generals, like they have this guy Shoki who has this weird kind of metal face that kind of come out and he can shoot people with his face. It's really weird. A lot of the stuff I'm going to describe is really weird, and I'm just going to leave it as weird. I'm not going to try to justify it at all. You just have to kind of watch the movie and accept it for what it is. But for these generals, they you know, they have to because they they're sort of more advanced forms of these these mech ninjas. So they retain some of the memories of the the body of the person they used. And in the case of the main character, uh, Shiranui is, is the guy's name. But you just know him as the Cyber Ninja. He was one of these master ninjas that they wanted to make into a general. But he, something went wrong, and he retained his human memories, not just the memories of his skills and, and, and abilities. So he didn't have the loyalty to the, the demon army. So he escapes, and of course he wants to retain his humanity. It's sort of like a, a, a sci-fi fantasy martial arts version of RoboCop, where he, he's lost his humanity, and all he is is this, this killing machine, but he has just enough glimmers of what he was to, to want it back. Uh, and from there, it's, it's a fairly... Uh, I don't want to say generic. It's a fairly simple standards kind of adventure story where uh, Shiranui's brother, Jiro Maru, sorry, all these Japanese names are going to get bogged down. Uh, he wants revenge, obviously, and he doesn't know that the cyber ninja is his brother because he, he, he doesn't want to tell him that. He doesn't want to tell him that he's this husk of a, of a person. So uh, Jiro Maru, the younger brother, uh, me, uh, teams up with this guy. I think he's a, kind of like a ronin. His name is Akagi, and he's this mercenary, and he just wants money, and he's charging the the, la the village of the last humans for gold to, to hunt down these ninjas, and their princess gets kidnapped. Princess Saki gets kidnapped by the demons, and they imply that she's going to be maybe made part of the demons somehow, but they don't really go into that. That's one of the things about this movie. They don't really go into a lot of the mythology, and when they try to, it kind of gets bogged down in, in convoluted details. But anyway, you have this group of adventurers who go off to fight the various ninjas and ninja generals and so forth and eventually kill the bad guy, and that's basically it. It's, it's, it's all the little stuff. It's, it's the imagery, it's the action sequences, it's the fight choreography, it's the special effects. It's, it's the culmination of all that stuff that made this movie so fun. And there's just an overall sensibility where, you know, as I watch this movie... I kept saying I really wished I'd seen this movie when I was a little kid. This is I talked about this last week where I, I wanted to say that, that Sorceress was the kind of movie that I should have seen when I was too young for it. You know, where it was just a little more violent than I was ready for, or a little more sexual than I was ready for. Ultimately, I feel like Sorceress went a little too far over the line, at least in terms of sexuality. This, maybe a little bit in terms of violence, there's not really any sexuality to speak of, but... This is this is what I wanted Sorcerers to be. This was that movie that like I you should show to kids before they're really ready for the stuff that's in it to kind of push their boundaries a little bit. Like, like I said, it's very reminiscent of something like Power Rangers. But then people start getting beheaded or like their necks get snapped or one of the guys uh, Shoki, the one of the generals, he has these like prehensile tendrils and one guy tries to sneak up behind him and the tendril just stabs him in the, in the gut. Yeah. And all the effects are, are practical. All of it's done in camera, except for they do that sort of superimposed animation, sort of like Tron. Like, at one point, they go into these ruins, and there are these, I guess, like, sentry robots that are, like, like guarding the place, and they look, like, right out of Tron. Like, there's it's a, it's a physical thing, but then there's, you know, blue animation, you know, superimposed over it. And that's a lot of, like, they have uh, force lightning sort of thing, like, from Star Wars. Like, the, the end scene, the, the main guy sort of gets, gets the ultimate power and he's just coursing with this energy but it's that kind of thing you only saw in the 80s now it's all cgi bullshit but it just it feels even though you know it's not there it even looks less like it's in the room with them than modern cgi it feels like it's there because it has that kind of just cool pre-cgi 80s aesthetic i don't even know what else to call it you know just the world of this movie is so and i wouldn't even call it deep on a level of like I said, the mythology, to the extent that they try to do that, that always kind of falls flat. But just the, the literal world of this movie, the locations of this movie, I think, I mean, they filmed, the forest is obviously on location somewhere, and it's a, a beautiful wooded area, and it's shot beautifully. And then they go into, like I said, these ruins, and I wouldn't be surprised if these were real ruins somewhere in Japan. I mean, 
I would guess that it's a set that they built specifically for the movie, but I, it's so well integrated into the rest of the, the story that maybe, I don't know, maybe it, maybe it's something that I could really travel to. And then there are obviously places that are literally, like, there's no question that they're sets. Like, there's this t- giant kind of interconnected series of towers that represents the bad guy's lair, and it's all done in miniature, and it's it just it, it fills you with so much nostalgia seeing movies made like this when you know they don't make movies like this anymore. And, and really, the only major problem that I would cite with the movie overall is that, like I said, it, it gets bogged down sometimes, but for the most part, that simplicity, maybe maybe I will say it's generic, I, but but the thing is, it, it, it allows you to, to invest in the characters, I think, more than you might if they had tried to make it a little more complicated or sophisticated. You know, these characters, they're, they're stock, they're very stereotypical, but... I think the movie kind of knows that. So you, you have the character who just, he, he's the Han Solo type, essentially, and then you have the young Luke Skywalker type, and then you have the Princess Leia. I mean, I didn't even think of that when I was watching it, just how close to Star Wars some of these characters are. And they, I mean, the story isn't necessarily the same, but in, in just how archetypal it is. But again, you, I mean, I can watch A New Hope, and that, that doesn't bother me, and I can watch this, and it doesn't really bother me and I can just have fun seeing these characters play off each other. You have the you know, the, the younger brother doesn't know that, that the ninja is his older brother, but Akagi, the, the mercenary, finds out. He realizes that he sees uh, the similarities between how he uh, how he acted when he was alive versus how he acts now, and, and so like he knows, but he doesn't want to tell him, and so like he's sort of keeping this secret. And there's, so there's some interesting intrigue and dilemmas. I mean, again, nothing that goes so far that you would you would call it like particularly deep or or sophisticated in that sense, but just enough that it doesn't feel like it's like for kids. And then obviously you get the the hyper violent moments that are clearly not for kids. But again, I, I would say, show this to your kids. I, I so wish I would have seen this when I was a kid. This would have blown my mind. This is kind of a spoiler for my reboot that I'm going to talk about later on. But if you ever saw the Guyver movies, and more so the second one, Guyver 2 Dark Hero, they were both directed by the same guy, but the second one was straight to video and it was R-rated, and they, they let them do a lot more with it. They let them show a lot more blood and, and death and stuff. Uh, the first movie uh, actually uh, kind of pissed me off. It was one of the first times where I learned that movie posters would lie to you when I was a little kid. Because if you ever got the the VHS at a blockbuster, it would have it had Mark Hamill in the Giver, and you had like half Giver metal face and then half Mark Hamill's face. Uh, but when you watch the movie, Mark Hamill's in it, but he's like a cop. He's not the Giver. He like turns into like this weird like crab slug monster at the end, and then Jimmy J.J. Walker from Good Times turns into a bat monster, but he still says dynamite for some reason. Uh, don't watch the first movie, but watch the second one, which recasts the main character. David Hayter plays him. The guy does the voice of uh, Solid Snake in the uh, Metal Gear Solid movies. Or is it Liquid Snake? I don't and obviously they're games, not movies, but I don't play them, so I, I think he's solid. So he's the main guy, the main hero guy, or anti-hero guy. But anyway, uh, that movie, it was one of those things where it's like, it's clearly for kids insofar as no adult would really necessarily enjoy what's happening. It's a bunch of costume monsters and robot guys fighting each other, but the subject matter is done in a, in a mature and adult way where people die, you see blood, you see, you know, more mature relationships. I mean, at least relative to something like Teenage Mutant Ninja Tur- Turtles 2, Secret of the Ooze. So, you know, this movie reminded me of that, where it's like, yeah, this is for kids insofar as like, like my parents wouldn't want to watch this movie. They would get nothing out of it. But me, because I'm a, I'm a, an Arrested Development man-child, I love this shit. But if I was an actual child, a, a parent that saw it might not want to show it to me, but they should anyway. You should you should want to pervert your children with stuff like this. And when I say pervert your children, I don't mean with stuff like Sorceress where that's a little too perverted. I mean just this, the right level of perverted. That's what Cyber Ninja is. That's I think that's the best review I can give it. This Cyber Ninja is the, just the right level of wrong for your children that you should show it to your children. And, and, and again, if you are a stubborn and arrested development man-child like me, you'll probably get something out of it as well. If you are a 30-something-year-old dude that still calls himself a fan of Power Rangers, then uh, you'll probably love Cyber Ninja. I don't know how many people like that are out there. That's just me, maybe. Maybe I'm the only one. I can't be, because Power Rangers is like a big thing now. They just announced they're going to do a second movie of it. It's a big nostalgic thing, so there have to be other fucking complete losers like me that would be excited by something like Cyber Ninja. So I guess go see it, if you fit that criteria. I'm flat out recommending this movie. Fuck it, I don't care. I don't care if you're going to hate it. 
go watch it. And if you hate it, fucking fuck off a cliff for all I care, because I don't want to know you. I, I only want I only want to associate with people who can appreciate something as amazing as Cyber Ninja. So that this is my new litmus test for friendship. You watch Cyber Ninja. If you like it, you're still my friend. If you don't, then fuck you. So I feel like that's that's the best thing anybody can say about any movie, right? So anyway, that's it. That's my review of Cyber Ninja. So I'm going to go ahead and pause the podcast right here, and then I'm going to come back with my 10-point plan for how to turn this uh, great movie that I just loved into a an even greater cinematic universe. I'm back, and I've got my 10-point plan for how to turn Cyber Ninja from 1988, directed by Keita Memia, into a cinematic universe, or shameless multimedia franchise. Those two terms that I use interchangeably, even though they don't actually work uh, interchangeably. So, uh, first I gotta say, as always, spoilers abound from this point. If there's anything I haven't already spoiled, I can uh, very easily spoil it after this point, because... Uh, I have to reveal certain things about the ending in order to sequelize and prequelize and so forth. So, if you care about spoilers for Cyber Ninja, which you really shouldn't, because it's just a bunch of action, fun, nonsense, uh, maybe leave the podcast now, go watch Cyber Ninja, which you should do anyway, and then come back here and listen to me uh, ring all the fun out of it. Also, uh, if you want to email the podcast... Uh, you can do so at headcanonpodcast at gmail.com. That's H-E-A-D-C-A-N-N-O-N-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. You can email with questions, comments, insults, whatever you like. But most importantly, with requests, if you want to request a movie for me to review and build out the cinematic universe for it, I will do so as long as I can afford it or as long as I can find it and as long as it's not like a snuff film. So pretty much anything you can send to me, I will at least make a good faith attempt and uh, if you found me on iTunes, as I imagine most people do, you can also, uh, well, I would ask that you subscribe, review, rate, and all that stuff. But also you can find me at my website, the Blogspot link. It's spelled exactly the same way, headcanonpodcast at blogspot, or sorry, dot blogspot.com. So you can find all the episodes there as well as liner notes and so forth. I, I've yet to link anything else uh, in those notes, so, I mean, that hasn't been a thing. But, you know, maybe someday I'll link to something in there and you'll only be able to find it there because iTunes won't carry that over. Now, normally, I start with the sequel, uh, and I'll pitch out what I think the sequel to Cyber Ninja will be, and I'll do that, but there's something I want to read first. I, I meant to do this in the review, and I, I forgot, but like I said, uh, most of my my, my quote-unquote research for this podcast is basically looking up Wikipedia and IMDb, and every once in a while, I go down to the IMDb user reviews, and I read one that I want to read on this podcast right now, because it kind of blew my mind even more than this movie did and not maybe for the the right reasons or not really really for good reasons but i'll just i'll just throw this out here and uh, without judgment no fuck that i'm totally gonna judge this but anyway this is a review the title is a little tedious but fun 
from a reviewer named Thy Davideth. And I copied and pasted this directly from there, so it has like a little dash and says, See all my reviews. I won't be doing that. Because uh, so, his review is as follows. Uh, Cyber Ninja is about a Cyber Ninja and some dipshit who must rescue a warrior broad with a tight little booty from some cybernetic wizard. The movie combines cyberpunk with 16th century samurai genre. Whoopie doo doo. The film is creative with some nice 80s style special effects and the costumes look cool. The action is very well choreographed with a sort of kung fu action feel to it. The story is absurd but straightforward. I don't know how something can be absurd and straightforward. That's me editorializing, by the way. And pacing was tedious. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. God, I hate it when my reviews get this typical and boring and gay and shit. So, that that's, that's Thy Davidith's review of Cyber Ninja. And I felt like I needed to read it just to kind of maybe validate my own review of the movie, which, I don't know, maybe you want to say it's not that much better. I like to think that, at the very least, it's a little better than that. But just that, that that's apparently the caliber of reviews for a movie that evidently hasn't gotten great reviews. Well, maybe it's because the people that did see it are fucking dumbasses like thy Davideth. This movie was great, and I highly recommend it. Anyway, that's that. So, I start, as always, with the sequel. And... And like I said, every time they would kind of talk about the, the mythology or the mechanics of the universe, it, it kind of wouldn't make a lot of sense. There's one very significant scene where you, you meet the villains for the first time. You meet uh, Raime as the main villain, and then Shoki, his, his sort of main general. And they're just talking about you know, what they are, who they are, what their plan is, in very sort of Power Rangers, Super Sentai fashion, where they, they are telling each other things that they already know purely for the benefit of the audience, but basically, uh, they they worship this this creature called the Dark Overlord, and they have this tree, well, actually, they have two trees, and one of them keeps pulsating, and he says that there's blood running through it, there's human blood and human flesh running through it, and basically, the, the implication is that every time they kill somebody, one of these humans, they take their body, and they, they drain it, of, well, first, they rip their soul out, there's, like, all these sort of souls floating around, a lot of more of that, like, superimposed animation of, like, souls flying everywhere, and then they rip the soul out, they they drain it of blood, and then they take the husk of the body and make it one of their mecha ninjas, and they're really cool, they're, they, they're black clad, and they have these weird, like, cyber eyes, and they crawl around like insects, uh, but anyway, they feed the blood to this tree, and you find out later that, because it's, again, it's not very well explained, a lot of this is stuff I'm putting together, but the idea is most of the time they will for those these generals these guys where they, they need their skills they need the skill of the original human which is to say they they take their body and and leave the body encased in armor and then just sort of wipe the memories so uh, the cyber ninja he thinks that that there is a way for him to regain his humanity as long as he gets his soul back but you eventually find he doesn't even have a body he is literally just the the memories of the original human inside a completely mechanical form his soul's been taken and also his body is this like desiccated husk that's inside the tree that they were using as as like ultimately the the body of the dark overlord when he when he manifests physically after he gets enough blood and flesh fed into him through this sort of root system then he would use uh, the Cyber Ninja's original human body as his kind of host or vessel. So basically, the, the idea being he he could never have retained his humanity even if he wanted to because they they repurposed it for this this sinister purpose. Uh, that's the twist ending essentially. I don't know if you'd even call it a twist because again, it's not really set up well enough where it feels like a twist. Uh, but I, I I wanted to explain that just by way of of kind of setting up the the idea behind like like how they treat humans. They rip their soul out. They use their the the rest of their meat for their own purposes, and then they they turn what what else they have left over into this kind of cyborg mechanical monster. And once they are defeated, Raime is killed. The Dark Overlord eventually he he loses the body that they they destroy the body that he was gonna go into. So he tries to go into Shoki, the general, which is like sort of like like it's a mechanical form, so it's not what he wanted, but it's good enough to to get revenge and kill these guys. Uh, and they of course they rescue the princess. She was tied up in another tree that I guess was supposed to feed the other one. I don't know exactly how that worked. They didn't really explain it that well. But anyway, they, they kill Shoki, possessed by the Dark Overlord, and, and they, they leave, and they, they destroy the, the, the fortress, you know, the, 
essentially a happy ending. I was going to say that, but uh, the younger brother does die, which is, and like, really sort of like, like a Tasha Yar sort of death, where it's just like, yeah, fuck him, he's dead. I mean, they, they do deal with it later on. He sort of cradles in him in his arms and so forth. And then that's the very end. They're, they're flying away, and uh, the cyber ninja, he, his family's dead, and he knows that his former clan won't accept him because of what he is now, so he just, he jumps off and just sort of solemnly goes wandering like Kung Fu. Uh, but anyway, they've destroyed this, this temple, this place where this dark overlord used to be, but these souls of all these former humans are still floating around. And it's not like they're going to repossess the, the ninja bodies. The ninjas have no you know, entity controlling them, so they're just kind of mad and, and walking around everywhere. And these souls are just, they don't know what you know, where to go or what to do. It's not like they're going to go to heaven necessarily. Uh, I mean, you know, I don't know. The, the movie doesn't say anything about them. They're just still floating around. So I'm saying that that after they destroy this, this font of souls that was originally meant to feed this monster, they... Uh, instead coalesce into a monster of their own, sort of like this hive mind of this spiritual, spectral energy, this kind of psychic, I was calling it the psychophony, or like the, the maelstrom of souls or something, just this this massive uh, force, this this storm of, of human spirits. And that's something that, that the movie talks about a lot, the human spirit versus the, the you know, mechanical lack of human spirit, where they uh, all the, the soldiers, they have this thing, they call it their kai, which I think in Japanese means god, I, but I could be mistaken. But they have, it, they look like the uh, the Super Saiyan, like like power level monitors that they, you know, they have in, in Dragon Ball Z. Uh, that's actually, I, I've never seen any Dragon Ball or Dragon Ball Z. I've made a lot of references to it, just because so much of it is kind of permeated pop culture, so I, I get it through osmosis. But that's actually another podcast I was thinking of doing. Basically, a first-time watch of all the Dragon Ball shows. I was going to call it Ball Bustin', but that was, that was another option I'm going to throw out there. But anyway, they have these things on the side of their heads that I think are meant to measure their human spirit. Like they, they're activated by their passion. They get, they can get angry or, or whatever. And, and then like the, the little thing ticks up and that's a measure of how powerful they are. I guess. I, I don't know if they're actually converting that energy into something or if it's just a measurement of how passionate someone is and that's how better a soldier they'll be. They never, again, they never really explain it, but I'm saying that, uh, this, this, uh, this giant massive hive mind of all of these souls, all of these human spirits, is it's basically gone insane that you because know, you know a human spirit outside of a human body you know that's not the the state that it's supposed to be in or at least just it's like a ghost you know that ghosts tend to go insane because you know they're they're in a a place where they're not supposed to be so this is a massive sort of storm of ghosts that is just going through the countryside and it can am animate the corpses of all of those mecha ninjas, all the, the sort of bug-like ones that, that don't really have a lot of thinking capacity. They're just sort of mindless drones. But anytime it comes upon a human, it'll sort of rip their soul out. Sort of like if you remember the Green Lantern movie when Parallax would like rip out somebody's fear and like their sort of spectral skeleton would just like rip out of their body. Sort of like that. It's just going from town to town, ripping out human souls from their bodies and then animating the corpses as zombies. And then anytime it comes upon one of those, uh, those generals whose uh, circuitry is more more sophisticated it, it's sort of one of the whatever soul that it, that used to be in that body will re-inhabit it and kind of make it go crazy and so they're becoming like sort of serial killers stalking the land because they don't know what to do with themselves so you have this basically new army building but it isn't focused in terms of conquest like the the original demon army was it's just chaotic and and just fucking shit up everywhere it goes so the last remaining humans who have now gone out that that one tribe that one clan has gone out to all the other clans that that kind of hid in different places and, and didn't want to fight back. They just wanted to kind of let everything blow over. Now they're going back to them to try to, to bring them back into the fold, to, to restart humanity, essentially. But it's not going well. There There's, you know, brewings of a, a new civil war where the, the clans are vying for dominance. It's like maybe there's one that hid underground. There's one that hid in the mountains. There's one that maybe even hid underwater. They... You know, just like the the clan that we saw in the original movie reverse engineered the alien technology for war, they reverse engineered it to hide and to build sort of technological civilizations in places that were typically inhospitable for humans. But anyway, so there's a civil war brewing, and then there's this new threat on the horizon, and the thing that bridges them together is the cyber ninja who comes back out of hiding to basically warn the last remaining humans of what's coming, and that they have to work together with all these clans in order to stop it. And then, of course, the reveal at the end would be that the, the central nexus of this hive mind the will that is is 
coalescing all of the other wills under its thumb is his younger brother who died and died in pain and died never getting to know his brother realizing only in the last final moments of his death that his brother had been turned into the cyber ninja who he'd been distrustful of the entire movie and so he never got the chance to reconcile and, and be with his brother again and now he's a fucking ghost so he went insane and his his insanity his his pain his rage as a ghost as a human spirit disembodied is what coalesced all these other things together and so that's the the, the two brothers have to reconcile now in their new monstrous forms uh, in order to stop the violence for good and that would be my sequel to cyber ninja i think it, i think it's pretty good I don't know. What do you think? Maybe email me. I don't know. I don't know if I'm getting a lot of emails now or not. I'm recording these in advance. Maybe nobody's still emailing me. Maybe nobody listens to this podcast. Or maybe you do. In which case, let me know what you thought of that. Or the next one. The next one is the prequel. Go into the, go into the prequel. Uh, I thought I, I just sort of established this clearly as like an alternate history of feudal Japan and just sort of you know explain how it came about. And the idea would be an alien ship crash lands in Japan you know, during the, t- the time of you know emperors and so forth, and it completely changes not only Japanese history but world history, where they get all this alien technology that they can reverse engineer into weapons and take over the rest of you know Europe and, and Asia and America, and and so it's all Japanese now, and it's all sort of kind of a mix of like I said this old school martial arts stuff and the advanced alien tech and they at the time they don't necessarily realize that there's a nefarious demonic force surrounding it and when I say I mean it's alien tech it's demonic aliens it's sort of like like Lovecraft it's it's demons from the cosmos and they crash land and maybe maybe they don't even show themselves I'm saying that uh, the Raime character is a human at first, and he's like like maybe an administrator. I don't know if he's actually the emperor at the time, or if he's like a vizier to the emperor, but he's a patriot. He's a guy who just wants the best for his people, for the Japanese people, and he sees this alien technology as the, the chief means of doing that, but the more he, he he becomes a proponent of it, he says, you know, you should integrate this stuff into your daily lives. We can all be better for it. You know, our lives will be easier. We can use giant, weird like mech adat walkers with shacks on them to do our farming for us, and he doesn't realize that he's seeding all this stuff in and it's sort of like a Trojan horse where the demons are just festering and waiting to take over and ultimately they start like talking to him and taking over him and then he becomes the first sort of demon-human hybrid and you know, becomes this sort of, uh, I was, I was going to say Darth Vader figure, more of a, a Darth... Was it Sidious? Is that the guy's name? The, the the Emperor in Star Wars. I keep bringing up Star Wars. I I, I shouldn't be doing that. But but anyway, uh, it'd be sort of the 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 origin of of that character slowly perverted and 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 corrupted until you get you know what you got again going back to Star Wars at the end of the prequel series where you know it's it's the the breakout of this war between you know the Dark Empire of of demonic monsters and mech ninjas and. Uh, what becomes the the last fledgling examples of humanity, and then you have those those clans I was talking about, kind of breaking apart. Some of the ones hide when they they realize that the war is lost. Some stay and fight. I forgot to mention that in the, in the beginning of of Cyber Ninja, they suggest that. Not that they've given up, but that they basically accepted that it's hopeless. So they're going to have like one final stand where they they know they're all going to die, but ultimately they don't. They have this. They figure out a way to build this cannon weapon, and and obviously the story happens as it does, where they don't all die. But uh, that's sort of where they are at the beginning of the movie. So I'm saying this is the setup for that for the hopeless battle. Uh, So anyway, that's my prequel. Uh, and that gets me to spin-off. And for spin-off, I'm actually taking a couple characters and spinning them off into their own story. The the movie suggests that they do know each other or at least have some experience with each other, and that's uh, Akagi, the Ronin mercenary, and S- Princess Saki, who uh, that that's the the princess with the tight booty from uh, Thy Davidith's review, by the way. And I mean, I guess I mean she's perfectly attractive, I suppose. They don't really utilize her that much. They set her up as a warrior princess, but then she gets kidnapped, and for most of the movie, she's just sort of, you know, held hostage, and she only does one thing where she seems to have any kind of warrior abilities, and not that I'm questioning them, which is I wish they would have, you know, done more of that. Uh, and then, like I said, Akagi, he's like this mercenary character, he's the badass leader of the group that goes to save the princess, but he's only out for money, uh, and he, I like that they don't really even, like, redeem him that much, it's not like he learns to care about people ever, you know, he's still just out for the money even by the end of it, I mean, he has some, there's like some some solemnity to his character wherein he realizes that the, the two brothers don't realize that they're brothers actually I don't know if Cyber Ninja realizes that the younger brother is his brother if he's got because they, they say maybe he got some of his memories back but not all of them so I'm not sure if at, at the point where they meet that they both know who the other is uh, but anyway uh, this is obviously before that this is uh, the demons are still around but 
they're they're in that kind of a holding pattern. It's maybe not, maybe not necessarily a cold war, but they're not necessarily at the point where they think all hope is lost and they're going to have one final stand. They still are maintaining various fiefdoms of, of human civilization around uh, these demon-controlled territories. So you have one in particular, a sort of bandit town, and Akagi goes there uh, specifically to fuck it up because it's, and I'm, I'm I'm using Yojimbo. If you've ever seen the movie Yojimbo, it's been referenced in a lot of other movies. Uh, the Last Stand, the, the Bruce Willis movie, was one that is probably more obscure than some other better examples. Uh, the Sword and the Sorcerer, which is a, a David Carradine movie, and a yet another really obscure example. I don't know why I'm throwing out these things that you wouldn't have ever seen, but the idea is it's two. Uh, towns and two sort of uh, opposing forces of criminals and then one kind of, you know, silent, I don't know if he's necessarily silent, one lone warrior figure, Yojimbo, in the original story, the original, it's a Kurosawa movie, and uh, he kind of comes in and, and pits them against each other. Usually it's for control of some vital resource in, in one town that both sides want, and then he pits them against each other in order to destroy them both. That's the Ojimbo story. And I'm saying you tell that story, but in this sort of sci-fi, fantasy, you know, martial arts world, where Akagi is that figure, he goes to this bandit town, and there's two sides of bandits, and, and they're separated by whether or not to reverse-engineer cybernetic abilities in their own flesh. So, like, the people are obviously using alien tech for weapons and things, but there's one uh, clan of bandits that wants to, like, replace their limbs and their organs and things with cybernetic abilities, but people fear that by doing that, they will become part demon, that they will invite the demons into them. And then there's another side that is sort of too far in the other direction. They're, they're obsessed with purity to the point where they're executing people that they consider impure, whether or not that's uh, you know, a standard of cybernetics, or maybe even just a racial standard, or something. Whatever their their standard of purity is, they're they're enforcing that violently. So you have these two groups of very bad people with different ideologies, and Princess Saki comes to town first, trying to to reconcile them. Basically, trying to to go on a diplomatic mission to bring them both together and say, you know, stop fighting each other. Humans can't fight other humans. We got to all team up together to fight the demons, to fight the mech ninjas, and uh, Akagi is sort of at cross purposes. He comes there because he wants to defeat both clans. Maybe he has a personal vendetta against him. Maybe he's just been paid to do it. Or maybe that's the thing. He's been paid by both clans to destroy the other, so he decides to follow through on that by destroying them both. But anyway, that's the story. And maybe you can even have like a will-they-or-won't-they romance between them where they, they hate each other or disrespect each other's missions, but you know there's an attraction there. They never really do that in the, in the, the movie, but I'm just saying you could, you could have that as, as part of the story. You know, and I think at the end you even have... You know, like I said, the, the, the Trojan horse thing, maybe, maybe the, the guy who has too many cybernetics inside of him, the leader of that clan, does become a demon, and that's sort of like that's the final battle at the end of the movie. Uh, so that's my spinoff, and that gets me to crossover. And I, I wasn't sure about this at first, but the more I think about it, the more I like it. I'm crossing it over with uh, Evil Dead, but specifically Army of Darkness. Uh, if you've never seen the Evil Dead movies, it's this guy, Ash Williams, played by Bruce Campbell, who uh, he goes to this cabin in the woods with his well, with his friends in the first movie, and then the second movie sort of retcons that, where it's just his girlfriend. There are demons in the woods that possess humans, and they're, they're called deadites, and they, they, they turn them into these uh, sort of undead zombie creatures. Uh, Ash is always the only survivor. His girlfriend, he has to chop her head off. He has to chop his own hand off, and the demon gets in the hand, and it went bad, and then he replaces it with a chainsaw on his arm, so he's got a sawed-off shotgun slung on his back, chainsaw on his arm, and then at the end of Evil Dead 2, he goes back in time to like ancient Babylonia. I don't even know if they establish uh, where it is that he goes, but you know, ancient medieval times, and he becomes like a medieval hero where he has to fight deadites, uh, including a clone of himself that sort of splits off. I'm explaining this franchise that you really should see if you've never seen the Evil Dead movies. Fucking go see him. Uh, and the show as well is very good. Uh, it kind of went a little downhill, but uh, I, I would still recommend watching it. Uh, but anyway, you have all these core elements of, you know, a badass chainsaw-wielding hero fighting undead monsters with time travel, and you get what what starts out as an Evil Dead sequel, sort of like the last Evil Dead movie, and it starts out in the far-flung future, where Ash from the present day uh, gets sent to the future via the Necronomicon. The Necronomicon's power is what contains the, the time-traveling ability, and it's sort of like a fail-safe, like if you can't defeat the Deadites in whatever time period, you can send them backwards or forwards through time so that they're somebody else's problem, basically. So that's what happens, or at least that's what Ash thinks happens. He wakes up like on a spaceship in the future, and he just assumes that, that uh, deadites are coming. But what he finds out is that in the future, 
they're using the Necronomicon in that time to try to destroy the Deadites, sort of like the and the Hellraiser Four Bloodlines, where they're trying to destroy the the puzzle box in space to to defeat the Cenobites once and for all. They're trying to do that with the Deadites, but everything goes wrong, and uh, they they become Robo Deadites, basically robots and cyborgs get possessed with Deadites, and they have the book, and, and well, Ash gets it ultimately, and he's on the spaceship, and he goes, well, I'm going to activate this failsafe so that they don't blow up this ship with me on it. So he activates the time travel mechanism once again and he sends both himself the spaceship and all of these cybernetic demons back to feudal japan and so you find out that that is the the alien ship that crashed at feudal japan that created the alternate history that uh, advanced uh, the japanese culture to take over the world but ultimately let, left them uh, vulnerable to demons who are actually a new sort of mutated modern form of deadite and that's what Raimei is ultimately that's what all these creatures are and that that dark overlord is actually the evil version of Ash that wants to manifest himself back into a living form uh, and is taking control of of this army of, of now cyborg deadites and and robotic mecha ninjas or maybe Evil Ash either isn't in it or he's an ancillary villain. Or Because I'm saying maybe this story takes place before Cyber Ninja and it's just another kind of hopeless mission to to attack the fortress, but they recruit this crazy white man, Ronin, who he doesn't have a samurai sword, he has a chainsaw on his arm. Of course, they don't even know what a chainsaw is, they don't talk about it in those terms, but this, this guy who lives alone because he doesn't know how to get back to his own time, of course, they don't even know that either. They just assume he's some weird fucking Ronin warrior. And he's, of course, he's Ash. You know, you have the scene where they walk up to his, his shack and he's wearing one of those big wide rim hats and he looks up and it's Bruce Campbell and he's got a fucking chainsaw mounted on his wall and, you know, the, the, maybe the one, maybe he's just a, a simple farmer. He just wants to retire and live the rest of his life, you know, on his farm in, in feudal Japan. But they drag him back. They have him bring his, his, his sword out, his chainsaw, to help them attack these demons. And maybe, yeah, maybe this is, maybe he fights evil Ash, who is, you know, a massive cybernetic, uh, Shogun Lord or something, and then they go back to the present day, but they leave the Deadites there in order to facilitate the rest of the series, or rather, you know, the, the, the Cyber Ninja movie as we know it. So that would be the spin-off prequel, I guess, or crossover prequel, rather. Sorry, the spin-off, completely different thing. I'm mixing these up now. But the crossover prequel with Evil Dead slash Army of Darkness and Cyber Ninja. I very much enjoy that, I think. And that gets me to a uh, reboot, a gritty reboot, where I, I try to imagine if this movie were remade today, who would I have direct it? Who would I have star in it? I don't really have so much recasting for this, because I, I, mean, I mean, the main character, you don't ever see his face, much like Robocop, you know, he's, he's sort of, just, well, actually more like Robocop, because he doesn't even have a, a bottom faceplate, he's completely mechanical. Uh, so, I mean, I guess if you want to do like a voice, maybe Hugo Weaving, I don't know, uh, but... Mostly I'm just thinking of, in terms of director, and I had a very obvious choice, or at least what was for me a very obvious choice. Not a lot of people would necessarily know who it was, but it was the, the, the obvious thing for me. And I, I'm going to go with that, but I, I want to talk about some of my alternatives too, just because I, I didn't want to go the obvious route at first. And so, so my first alternative, I was thinking, and you wouldn't necessarily recognize uh, these names either, but there's a, a trio of directors, I believe they're like Scandinavian, and they did a, a movie called Turbo Kid, and they just did a movie Summer of 84, and I think they're making Turbo Kid 2 now. Uh, it's uh, Francois Samard and Anouk and Johan Carl Whistle. That's, that's three people uh, with very Scandinavian-y names, and, and they, they very much have that, that 80s throwback sensibility. Uh, if you've ever seen Turbo Kid, actually just look up the trailer, you'll see everything that that movie's about, and it's a crazy fucking 80s throwback. So I'm saying have them bring the sensibility to this. Of course, like I said, I'm not going with them, I'm going with somebody else. And then my other alternative was uh, a guy named Joseph Kahn, who, uh, this was just going back to Power Rangers, he's the guy who directed Adi Shankar's Power Rangers bootleg short film, which if you've never seen that, look that up on YouTube as well. Uh, it's basically his idea of like what a dark, gritty Power Rangers reboot would be. So I'm saying that'd be kind of perfect for somebody doing a dark, gritty reboot of Cyber Ninja, a very Power Rangers-esque property. Uh, he also directed the movie Torque with uh, Lawrence Fishburne, I think, is, is the main guy in that. Uh, but anyway, don't hold that against him. He also did a movie called Detention, which is on my list uh, to watch that, that looks very interesting, like a, like a slasher horror comedy movie. Uh, but anyway, the one I actually went with was Stephen Wang. 
And I said I was spoiling this when I was talking about the Giver. Stephen Wang did both Giver movies, and he he worked with a guy named Screaming Mad George, who also did the special effects for the Reanimator movies and a lot of horror movies. I think he might have did Society as well. Uh, but anyway, I'm saying bring both of those guys back to do the American Cyber Ninja. Uh, Stephen Wang he also did Common uh, Rider Dragon Knight, which was an adap- adaptation of. Uh, I, I think I've thrown out Common Rider a lot without explaining it. If you don't know. There's Super Sentai, which I guess that is uh, Power Rangers, and then there's Common Rider, which it did get an American adaptation uh, back in the 90s, produced by Saban. It was a spinoff of Power Rangers called Masked Rider, and he's like this, he's a solo hero, he's like a grasshopper, cyborg-looking thing, and uh, it didn't catch on, they, they, they didn't continue it past the first season, but... The year, very years later, like I want to say, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, they they tried to adapt a modern Common Rider series, which is also very long running in Japan, as Common Rider Dragon Knight. They tried to adapt Common Rider Ryuki. Uh, I'm actually much more well versed in the Common Rider series, at least the later sort of modern ones. I've watched more of those than I have Super Sentai. But uh, anyway, he Stephen Wang produced that series, the American version, Dragon Knight. So he, you know, even to today, he's he's you know ready to to tackle this genre. So I think uh, doing a Cyber Ninja reboot uh, would work well for him uh, and again if you want to recast it like maybe yeah, maybe Hugo Weaving for the voice of the ninja uh, maybe like a Jeffrey Dean Morgan for Akagi for the the mercenary you know guy who just he just doesn't give a shit about anything but money you know obviously at that point we're whitewashing it so you know maybe you want to find a, a Japanese actor to play these clearly obviously Japanese characters I mean I I talk about how whitewashing isn't something that necessarily offends me generally but I feel like for something like this it probably would be pretty offensive to to not have Japanese actors playing these characters because so much of it is so Japanese in terms of its iconography and setting it's literally in feudal Japan so I mean, I, I guess they did that 47 Ronin movie with Keanu Reeves, so maybe they could get away with it. Though, I believe that movie bombed horribly, so maybe not. But anyway, that, that would be my idea for the reboot. Uh, and I, again, I wouldn't necessarily repitch it. I think the story's fine enough as it is. Uh, it was actually great. That's why I recommended it so, so heartily before. Uh, and that gets me to the back half, which is all the stuff that isn't movies, starting with the TV show. And if it wasn't obvious by now... Uh, my TV show idea for this would be to just do like an American Toku Power Rangers style action kid show where, uh, you know, I, I mean, again, I mentioned Common Rider, you have like the solo hero story, but I'm saying you can expand the team sort of like, you know, when they did Knight Rider and then they had Team Knight Rider and it was a bunch of cars. I assume they all talked. I never watched that show, but I'm saying you, you can have, you can build out the team. You can have the, the Cyber Ninja as the leader, but then you have a, you have a Kage, you have uh, his younger brother, uh, Jiromuro, you have the uh, Princess Saki. There's also this this old guy that I didn't mention in the review, Kajawara, who uh, he's the guy who's paying Akage to do. He's like the leader of the of the clan. So you can have like a, a team of five, and you know Cyber Ninja is a fully mechanical character, but maybe the other five get like you know super armor or something. Again, they, they reverse engineer this technology from the bad guys, so they have like a, they can all have a transformation sequence. So it's a, you know a team of Power Rangers esque superheroes fighting robot ninjas, and the, the various generals would be the monsters of the week that are sent out, you know, cyborg monsters to, to kill the last remaining humans. I would still keep the post-apocalyptic setting, uh, sort of like, uh, again, I'm referencing Power Rangers quite a lot, RPM, one of the, the later seasons, was set in a post-apocalyptic future. It's the the best season of the show. If you want to get into Power Rangers uh, and you, you don't know where to start because there are so many seasons, I would start with Power Rangers RPM, and then I would go to Time Force, and then watch it all chronologically from there. Uh, they're all on Netflix, by the way, if you want to watch them all, and, uh, and I would recommend you do as I'm a fan of them, but uh, anyway, like I said, I would keep the, the post-apocalyptic world and, and all the, the technology, all the weird Adat walkers and, and pagoda tanks and everything, uh, all of that would be in there. I don't know if you want to go flat out with like mech fights like Zords or anything like that or giant battles. You know, Common Rider doesn't necessarily always have, actually most of the time they don't have giant battles. Sometimes they do, but those are usually the exceptions. Obviously Super Sentai always has the giant robot fight the giant monster. That's part of that series. It's part of the iconography, but you don't necessarily have to go that route here. It could be more of a, a grounded, ground level martial arts uh, action fantasy show, uh, but I think that would be awesome. You need I need more of these. I need more American Super Sentai Toku adaptations. That, you know, you had Power Rangers, you had VR Troopers, you had Superhuman Samurai Cyber Squad, which technically wasn't Sentai or anything related to that company that makes it. Uh, uh, you had uh, Tattooed Teenage Alien Fighters from Beverly Hills. You had the Mystic Knights of Tirnanog, which I think I even referenced in the last episode. You had a lot of them, but I need more of them. And uh, I feel like Cyber Ninja, the series, could, could scratch that, that tokusatsu itch for me. Uh, so anyway, that gets me to video game, and I'm not going to go too crazy with this. Uh, like I said, this was already 
this already had a video game that was either adapted from it or that it was adapted from. I don't really know which. I'm assuming uh, it's it's the uh, the former. But uh, and I, I wouldn't go too different from what that looks like. That looks like an like an arcade style two D platformer. I would do the same thing, like sort of like a Shinobi style or or Ninja Gaiden style two D platformer. Uh, or if you ever if you ever played the game Hagen, it's a very rare Super Nintendo game that is it's similar to Shinobi but very difficult. Actually, Shinobi is very difficult as well, but it had this really cool art style. The reason it's obscure is it was sold as a at least in America as a blockbuster exclusive. So I don't like. Anybody that owns it, I think they even have like the little blockbuster video tag on it. I don't think it was sold in retail stores, uh, but anyway, something like that. I would also have like a Castlevania three style like like uh, recruit recruitment system where you rescue a character and then you can switch to that character. So you can you you know you play as the cyber ninja at first, and then you rescue Princess Saki, and then you can play as her. You rescue your younger brother, you can play as him and Akagi and so forth. You know, and, and just to kind of you know vary up the combat. Uh, again, I, I always go, in, go into these kind of details for these these things that aren't aren't real. And it, it, I mean, I guess if I start to question that, if I pull at that thread, then the entire premise of this podcast uh, sort of loses all meaning. So maybe I should just I should just stop talking about that. But I just it is a little funny that I'm like, oh, maybe there'll be a, a character switching system, or maybe this move this fucking thing will never be uh, happening at all. So anyway, that's my video game that I'm I'm certain someone will make eventually. Someone will see based on my recommendation, Cyber Ninja, and then they'll go, yeah, I, I need to I need to make all of those things. I fully anticipate that's going to happen. I think Steven Spielberg listens to this, right? Uber producer, he's going to be like, oh yeah, we need to bring back Cyber Ninja. Anyway, that's my video game. And that gets me to merchandise. And again, I'm always kind of kind of hesitant to go with just the, the basic action figure route. But I want to see the action figures for this movie. Again, in the age of hot toys, where you know t- toys have so much detail and articulation, and they do like photorealistic faces and everything, I would totally want to see the action figures for this. Like the really expensive, like $15, 20 ones. Uh, and then you can have the vehicles as well. Like, I keep mentioning these, those AT-AT walkers and the pagoda tanks and everything, all the, the different set pieces. The, uh, the humans also have like this giant gun that comes up out of a, I guess not a pagoda, but like a, like it, ha- it looks like a building that turns into a gun. So you know, there's a lot of variety and opportunity for like play sets, but if you want to go, you know, full size or, or, or human size, you know, I'm saying you you have the spirit swords. You know, collectible swords are a thing, and you can have this, and especially in our gun culture, a sword that you can load bullets into. I mean, they don't do anything. Like I said, it doesn't turn into a gun blade, but it's just enough that you can you have to buy bullets for this thing. Or maybe it's like, uh, maybe like like the lightsabers you can buy, but like a real sword, and then it like it electrifies every time you put that bullet in. And of course, the bullets are sold separately, so you have to. Keep Keep buying them if you want to electrify your sword. Why you would have any reason to do that, assuming you're not actually using this this spirit sword to, to kill actual real people, I don't know. But the option is available to you to buy uh, separately sold uh, spirit sold sword bullets. Uh, so that, that's the that's my merchandise. That's that's all I got for that. Uh, and that gets me to everyone's favorite part of the podcast, the porn parody title. And this one, again, maybe more proud of myself than I that I should be. Uh, porn parody title. It's you know, porn parodies always have really lazy titles now, and and I want to bring back the the glory days of clever pun titles for porn parodies. And, and for this one, Cyber Ninja. I racked my brain for a long time trying to figure out what I could turn Cyber Ninja into that that would be a porn. And I, I finally got to this. And I'm I'm cheating. I was gonna say I'm cheating a little bit. I'm cheating quite a bit, I think, on this one. But I don't care because I liked what I came up with. And what I came up with, and keep in mind, it's called Cyber Ninja. So there's the the two syllables with a B for the second syllable, and then uh, Ninja, N-G for the middle syllable there. Because again, it it doesn't quite work. But but just bear with me. Limber Ginger. See, it's, it's basically redhead contortionist pornography, and I got to write that in my notes. I have in my notes for this episode, redhead contortionist pornography. That Who doesn't want to see that? Fucking limber, limber ginger from Cyber Ninja. Nobody's, nobody's doing better than that. I don't care what other podcasts you listen to that pitch porn parody titles for obscure cult movies. None of them are giving you anything better than limber ginger. That... That's fucking brilliant. That's why you come to this podcast. I, I'm, I could just drop the mic now. Do I even need to do a drinking game? Who cares? Because I gave you limber ginger. But I am going to do the drinking game because that's what this podcast is. And I have podcast OCD, so if I skipped it, I would think something bad was going to happen to me. So the last 
section of this podcast is the drinking game. And for this, I'm saying uh, anytime you see uh, speed ramping, which that's like the Zack Snyder thing where like they're going in slow-mo and then they speed up. They do that to show super speed in this movie. So it actually works organically in this movie. It's not just a stylistic choice, but uh, it's still kind of annoying because they do it a lot, but at least they do it for a purpose. So anytime you see speed ramping, uh, you take a drink. Uh, anytime you see a new sort of unexplained villain just sort of show up, like they get, they have a new like, kind of general character who's obviously not one of the mecha ninjas. He's obviously a little more intricately designed, but they never like, at first they start explaining who they are, but then eventually they just start throwing them out there like, oh, here's another one that was here the whole time. Anytime you see that happen, you take a drink. And then finally, anytime you see a beheading or a neck snap, you take a drink in this movie that I'm recommending you show your kids. A lot of beheadings, a lot of neck snaps, fun for the whole family. Uh, but that's my drinking game. Like I say, uh, this is for entertainment purposes only. Uh, don't try this at home. I'm not a drinker. I don't recommend that you drink. I'm not going to judge you if you do. Do what you do. Live your life. But you know, be safe. That's all I'm saying. So anyway, that's the podcast. That's the drinking game. That's the 10-point plan. That's all of it. And so now, the only thing left is to tell you what I'm going to do next week. But I'm not going to tell you the specific movie, because I'm doing something special next week. Uh, I decided at the beginning of this block of, of ten episodes that, uh, in addition to the franchise episode I do at the end, I'm also going to do something in the middle for uh, double features. Basically, you know, the franchise is, is relegated to three installments or more, so trilogies or quadrilogies and so forth. The, the double feature is for these movies that only have you know two movies to, to them. So either a sequel, a prequel, a spinoff, or so forth. Uh, so... I'm going to start doing that from, from this point forward. Every fifth episode, in between the fifth and sixth, I'm going to do a double feature. And that's what I'm going to do next week. I'm not going to tell you what it is or what the double feature specifically I'm focusing on will be. I'm going to pick that at the beginning of the episode and, and just go from there. But anyway, that's next week. Special, mysterious, double feature week. And that's the podcast. Thank you for listening. This has been Head Cannon, And as Johnny Red always says, walk on water, eat bullets, and shit out ice cream. Thank you for listening, everybody. See you next week.